The reading is from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Let us be attentive. Brethren, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder I laid the foundation, and another man is building upon it. Let each man take care how he builds upon it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the Fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and that temple you are. Peace be to you, the reader. the crowds and after he had dismissed the crowds he went up into the hills by himself to pray when evening came he was there alone but the boats by this time was many furlongs distant from the land beaten by the waves for the wind was against them and in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately he spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, have no fear. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come to you on the water. 
He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, O man of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they entered the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret. Peace be to you who proclaims the gospel. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm sure most of you have at some point in your Orthodox lives been up to the monastery in Goldendale. Some of you have been there many times, I'm sure. Have you ever noticed the trucks on the freeway when you're at the monastery? Even when you're up at the chapel, you can hear those trucks zooming by. Or you can hear cars passing, hitting the rumble strip. You notice that? As Annie was there recently, that sound kept coming to her again and again while she was there and kept distracting from this peace, this quiet that we're seeking at the monastery. Instead, you hear the trucks going by and the trucks going by and they keep on going by. It's peaceful up there and yet when you notice something like that, you can fixate on it. That can become the thing that you keep noticing. Or if you're in the guest house there and you hear it all night long, it's a little bit more annoying. But here you are at this peaceful place where you're seeking out God's presence and stillness. And those trucks keep passing by. Of course, I'm not here to talk about trucks today, but rather about our thoughts. Because you see, the analogy is very apt indeed. We have thoughts that just become so captivating that we can't stop thinking about them. Oftentimes it's even more a way of thinking. We fall into these these habits of thinking, sinful habits of thinking. And we keep thinking that way so much so that it becomes like it's our very own. And there those thoughts are, they're barreling through our mind again and again and again. And the fight against them is quite futile. Quite futile, because these thoughts just keep coming and coming. Our problem is that the thoughts in our mind are not as detached as those trucks out on the highway. When you're at the monastery, there's the monastery, and then there's the highway. You can say, I'm at the monastery, I can forget about those trucks over there. But in our mind, the space is not quite the same. And so when thoughts come barreling through our mind again and again and again, we start to take them on as our own. We start to think, this is me. This is me speaking. 
I'm the one who has these thoughts. In our minds, we often don't see those thoughts, especially the thoughts that are so entrenched in our minds, the habits and cycles of things. And for each of us, that truck noise is a little bit different in our mind. We don't like going there because it's too loud, we might say, of the monastery. But in fact, where we go, we bring our thoughts everywhere. In the Gospel today, we see St. Peter going through this same thing. He is of a singular focus once he realizes that it's Christ out on the waters. And he says, bid me to come out to you. What a bold statement. Think about that. The waves are sloshing around, and he's thinking, I'm going to go walk on water. If Jesus tells me to, I will. And so he does. And he walks on water. But then those thoughts come barreling into his mind. What are you doing walking on water? This water's not stable. The water can't hold me. And so all these thoughts come bearing down upon him. And in his fear, he begins to sink and cries out to our Lord when his compassion saves him. We see how quickly his joy of seeing the Lord and then of walking on the water turns into fear, turns into anguish, really, realizing that he might drown on this stormy water. There's a passage I'd like to read to you from St. Paisius. This is one of the books, Passions and Virtues, in which he's talking with a nun who has that same thing like St. Peter, where there's the joy and then the sorrow. She says, Yerondo, why do my emotions change back and forth so quickly? He says, abruptly swift, uh, abruptly shifting from joy to sorrow is often caused by temptation. With malice, the devil wages battle against people, especially those who are sensitive and joyful by nature and desire to live a spiritual life. This is the devil's work. He wants to see us in sorrow so that he may rejoice. But why should we allow the devil to do his work? Is joy not better than sorrow? Is love not better than malice? And she continues, she says, Yeronda, at certain times I fall into sadness without knowing why. And he says, the devil does not want anyone to be happy. He finds ways to cause everyone worry, both those who have reason to worry and those who do not. What I see in your situation is that he is looking for an opportunity to discourage you. He entangles you even more by using fine threads. If he were using twine to entangle you, then I would have said that you are in part justified. However, you see the fine threads as twine, and so you worry. Do not torment yourself without reason, for you give joy to the devil and sadness to Christ. Do you want Christ to be sad? She says, no, Yeronda, but... And he cuts her off and he says, no, but... Hades has been embittered. Just say, indeed he has been embittered. And so she says, indeed he has been embittered. What we see in this passage... This quick change between sadness and joy, and also that contrast. When the devil is sad is when we are joyful, and when the devil is joyful is when we are sad, when we are discouraged. Last week I talked a little bit about jealousy, and it's the same idea. When we have the opposite feelings of the person who is the subject of our thoughts, 
There's envy there. And who is the most envious in all of creation? The devil himself. So if we want joy, if we desire joy, we have to recognize the devil will be embittered. But what did St. Paisios say at the end of that? Does anyone know where he quoted from? It's from the Paschal Homily of St. John Chrysostom. I'd like to read that for a moment. He says, this is St. John Chrysostom. Christ embittered Hades, having tasted of his flesh. Isaiah foretold this when he cried out, You, O Hades, have been embittered by encouraging him below. It was embittered, for it was abolished. It was embittered, for it was mocked. It was embittered, for it was slain. It was embittered, for it was annihilated. It was embittered, for it is now made captive. We remember these words. We hear them every Pascha. And probably inside of you, you wanted to respond just like the nun. Say, it was embittered. Right? We want to say this. And then we forget about it. We forget about it, and we feel overwhelmed and captivated by the thoughts that are in our head. But what is St. Paisio saying? The devil doesn't have power. Now that may seem an impossible statement. But he is only echoing St. John Chrysostom, who is only echoing the hymns of the church in relation to Pascha. Again, St. John Chrysostom says, it was abolished, it was mocked, it was slain, it was annihilated. Yesterday we had a baptism here at the church. And in the first exorcism prayer, you hear the exact same words. The prayer goes, The Lord puts you, O devil, under banishment. He who came into the world and dwelt among men, that he might destroy your tyranny and liberate mankind. That means he's already done it. He who on the cross did triumph over the adverse powers when the sun was darkened and the earth quaked and graves were opened and the bodies of the saints arose, he annihilated death by dying and put an end to you who had dominion over death. My brothers and sisters, Christ has conquered. This is what the Lamb, the centerpiece of our, the, the prospera that is offered in the church, says, Jesus Christos Nika. Jesus Christ is conquered. He has conquered. It's already done. Everything has been vanquished. And yet, we recognize that here we are, held captive. Held captive by our thoughts. We can even be at a place like the monastery and hear those trucks going again and again and again. And we want peace, we want stillness, we want communion with God. Imagine if that truck noise was at the very heart of your experience of the monastery. You said to people, I don't want to go to the monastery because every time I go, those darn trucks just keep making that noise. This is how our minds are. We have so many broken ways of thinking, broken ways of viewing the world, that they totally cloud our experience of the world. And then we're like that nun that St. Paisios was talking to, where she is joyful and then she's sorrowful, and she doesn't know why. This is our mind. The trucks are more real, our trucks, our thoughts. But if you think of those trucks, can we stop them? Can we stop them on the freeway? No. The outcome would be bad. We can't stop them. And likewise with the thoughts in our head, we can't stop them. 
We can't stop them. But we keep trying to go, battle, go to battle against these thoughts. We keep trying to outwit them, trying to out-argue them, trying to prove why they're wrong or bad, and we fail at that. We fail at that. Why? Because they're big semi-trucks barreling down the freeway. We can't stop them. The solution is not to try and stop them. The solution is to just let them pass by. Just let them pass by. Just like at the monastery, you have to pretend there's no freeway next to the monastery. And now forgive me, I'm going to ruin your time next time you go to the monastery. You hear those trucks. <laughs> but you have, to, you have to say, forget about it. I'm not here for that. I'm here for peace. I'm here for stillness. I'm here for quietude. And those trucks, they're quiet. They're silenced. I don't hear them anymore. This is the way we must be in our thoughts. So I ask you, what is your highway? What are those thoughts that keep persisting in your mind? Because for every person it's different. For some of us it's, oh, you're worthless. No one can love you. Why did you say such a stupid thing in that conversation? Do those thoughts sound familiar to you? Or what about the thoughts of, oh, you've got a special talent at that. Oh, do you see how people defer to you? You notice that? Maybe those are your trucks. We all have our own trucks, our own thoughts that come into our head. So the question then is, what do we do to ignore them? Well, the first step is that we have to recognize our current life is kind of parasitic. We have these thoughts that are attaching themselves to our being, to our essence. And we are saying that's a part of me. If you think of like those, uh, it would be like a tree saying, oh, the termites are a part of me. I love the termites. This is how we think. The thoughts are me. And so the first step is to say, the thoughts are not me. The thoughts are not me. I have to take them and separate them out from who I am. That's the first step. Because we have to be able to see, hey, look, there's a thought going by. Otherwise, it's like the trucks are driving right through the monastery property. We have to say, no, there's separation. That's not me. The second step that goes along with that is don't trust your thoughts. If they're not you, you don't have to trust them. You don't have to believe them. You don't have to go along with them. Separate them out and don't trust our thoughts. And this is a very strong monastic description. Don't trust your thoughts. Throughout the history of the ascetical life of the church, don't trust your thoughts. Don't trust your thoughts. And yet we do. Because we say, my thoughts are me. So I have to trust me, right? It's just me speaking inside my head. But we can't do that. The next is that you will know the tree by its fruits. If you're not sure whether the thought is good or bad, look at what comes from it. Now the thought might appear very good. It could be something like, you should spend more time helping those in need. But what's the fruit of that? If the fruit of that is you do go spend more time with those in need, may it be blessed. That's a wonderful thought. But if the thought instead is, you should spend more time with those in need, and you don't, and you just keep having that thought in your head, and it keeps on beating against you, and you keep feeling more weighed down, I should be doing more for those in need. That's the fruit. 
So look for the fruit. That will help you to understand those thoughts. Because the same thought in a different person might be a good thought. In us, may be a bad thought. Or even at different stages in our life. This thought might be a really good thought right now. And five years from now, that's just not realistic. I'm not able to do that. So we have to have that discernment. Look for the fruit of it. What does it cause in us? And lastly, that we be childlike. In the Gospel earlier this week, our Lord had those famous passages about, Do not hinder the children from coming to me, for of such are the kingdom of heaven. We must be like children. And what does that mean in this context? As my spiritual father always says, be simple. Be simple. An easy way to ignore thoughts is to just not have thoughts. You might say, Father, come on now. Who cannot have thoughts? Right? We've got a brain that's full of thoughts. So what do we do to expel the thoughts out of our brain? We have to do some substitution. We have to substitute those thoughts. So what do we do? This is why we have the Jesus prayer. This is why we have prayer. If we are completely immersed in prayer, I promise you, we're not thinking. If we're completely immersed in prayer. And that not thinking, for most of us, most of the time, is a good thing. Because what does that mean? God's grace is working in us. Rather than our fallen ways and habits of thinking, we are now allowing God's grace to work in us. Is that a better thing or a worse thing? Of course it's better. So that's the final thing, is be childlike. Once again, recognize that our life is parasitic. We have these parasites in our mind that are not us. Don't trust your thoughts. Don't take them on as your own. Know the tree by its fruits. Look at what it causes in your life. And lastly, be simple. Be childlike. These are the simple ways in which we can slowly move out of the parasitic life into the pure life of being in the presence of God. This is the way. And as St. Paisio said, as St. John Chrysostom said, death is overthrown. Our enemy is overthrown. Hades is embittered because God has already done his work. He has already attained eternal life for us. Now it is our part to recognize that, to live that, and to have the joy of our Lord's resurrection always. Amen.